scary basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including an internet virus that makes you see pop-ups in real life, a buzzsaw that not only cuts you in half, but also cuts in half your soul, and therefore weirdly proves the existence of the soul, and finally, a dozen haunted eggs. But did they die after they were laid, or were they laid by a ghost? Think about it. I'm Mikey McCollar. I'm Roxy Polk, and I'm terrified about the existence of ghost eggs, because that's new to me. That's a new scary, spooky thing I did not know existed. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's new. I opened up the scary basement fridge and <laughs> took out the eggs and try and opened it up and it was full and I tried to grab one and there was nothing. Oh my god. I just kept reaching through this. It was transparent. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, let's start out as we always do with the scariest thing that we saw this week. What went down in your life outside of this scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? So the thing that spooked me to my very bones was being without internet for three days straight. <laughs> Ooh, very scary <laughs> this ever happened to you before mikey have you ever been like a dead spot for multiple days at a time i don't think i've had an entire day without internet since i was 11 it made me feel like i was going crazy it shouldn't right. but it did i was like i can't do anything i tried to use my phone to be like a hot spot and burn through my minutes for an entire month like literally i just paid my phone bill and it had mm. like started with new minutes a couple days before I had to try and do this. Burned through all of my minutes for like an entire month within like the span of a couple of hours. And even when I was doing that, it was even, it was like crappy internet that didn't even work. Like I attempted to stream doing it and it didn't work. Oh no. <laughs> it, was, it was truly, truly a nightmare. Couldn't play Final Fantasy fourteen. It couldn't record a podcast with you. Couldn't check my email. <laughs> couldn't do anything. <laughs> except for sit alone with my thoughts and, uh have existential dread crisis. I don't know, man. Going without the internet now feels like going without hands. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, it's part of your body. And when you can't use it, you're just limited and you don't know what's happening. That's insane. Yeah, I keep like checking back on my phone to be like, did, did they fix it? Did they fix it? No. Nope, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what about you, I'll tell you the scariest thing that happened to me. What is it? I was out for a run the other day. And somebody had their trash down at the end of the, you know, had their trash out for the trash man. Mm -hmm. And sitting out in the trash, almost displayed. So, like, it was unmissable. I was not okay. looking through these people's trash. It was displayed. Like, you know how in a Resident Evil game, there's the pre-rendered backgrounds, and then there's the rendered item that you can click and pick up? Yeah. You're like, I'm going to interact with that. That's that's something to it, interact it, with. It was sticking out that much. I found a Polaroid in the trash can. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh. This is clearly a clue. So I took it. That, and sound, I, that sounds cursed. I couldn't. It, it was very cursed. I couldn't what tell it? what it was. Okay. It was like a It was like a black. And then the top and bottom were like crinkly. Like it looked like it would, had photographed like a close up of sand. And okay. then like a slug in the middle. A slug? And I was so afraid of it. And so I took it home and I was going to take a picture of it and send it to you. That's like a cryptid, man. Something. Right as I got home, I looked at it closer and I was like, oh, that's not a slug. That's a dick. That's a dick. And then I was like, no, 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 wait, wait. It's not a dick because it's got like at the top and bottom, it's got these like crinkled sand textures. And I was Close? like, oh, no, that's pubic hair connected to the dick. And that's pubic hair at the top. That's a dick going into a pussy. Oh, my God. Wait. I found a picture of a dick going into a pussy. It was like a bad picture. So it wasn't it wasn't just like a Polaroid dick pic. It was like Polaroid porn. At that point. Well, 
right? It was, but it was taken so badly. It was like somebody just figuring out how to use their Polaroid camera. So uh-huh. it was like blurred in a way that like, if I had seen that it was a porn pic, I would have been like, all right, I'm going to move on from this. And I did immediately throw it away. So Roxy, <laughs> all that is to say, it went from what looked like a Resident Evil clue uh-huh. to a Silent Hill metaphor. Oh my God. <laughs> the horrors of sexuality. <laughs> You just had, like, an entire arc, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Of realization. Because I was like, yeah, oh, man, maybe you found you found proof of a cryptid. No, just, no. No. Just humans being just humans. Just proof of <laughs> horniness. Yeah. Proof of horniness. <laughs> well, now we know it's real. <laughs> Speaking of horniness, here comes the demon bot <gasps> sauntering in all sexy-like. Oh, he heard us. Mikey and Roxy. This week you were assigned the 1980 film The Shining. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? I did watch The Shining, Roxy, did you? Yes, I watched The Shining. Then you may keep your souls. For now. Demonbot is feeling himself right now. He really is. I like to watch him go. (laughs) (laughs) Roxy, we did watch The Shining seminal horror movie by stanley kubrick my goodness boy did we it's january what do you say for anybody early january little snowy and cold out still it felt like the perfect kind of vibe for you know our new year it it is it is it's a good it does feel like a good new year's movie somehow like uh because you're right it's snowy but also that week between christmas and new year's that spoiler alert i mean i don't know when this episode comes out but we are in right now mm-hmm. it does kind of feel like this sort of isolation it yeah. feels like you're like away from the world you're separated nothing's open you're like waiting for the new year to start too so it's kind of like we had christmas which was this big thing that was building to and then you've just got a couple mm-hmm. of days where you're like okay we're just waiting for the new year to happen kind of right yeah it sucks uh <laughs> i don't love it <laughs> But anyhow, for anybody who is listening up at the scary basement door who has not seen The Shining, what do you say we do a quick plot recap? Let's do it. I would love to do that. The movie opens with Jack Torrance, as played by Jack Nicholson. Little head fuck. Jack playing Jack. Don't like that. (laughs) Don't like that. Change the character. Too real. Jack Torrance (laughs) drives through a long, winding mountain pass to the Overlook Hotel. There, he meets a Mr. Ullman and interviews for the job of caretaker, where he would stay at the hotel while it closes during the off-season... And Jack would just stick around, perform repairs as needed. Mr. Ullman loves Jack and is therefore obliged to tell him that the last caretaker did lose his mind because of the isolation and murder his entire family. Jack promises that won't be a problem. Sure, I'm sure it won't be it won't be a problem. It'll be great. <laughs> we then meet Jack's family, his wife Wendy and son Danny, as Wendy asks her son if he's excited to go live in the hotel. Danny responds, not as himself, but as his imaginary friend Tony who talks by making Danny bend his index finger. Danny then has a vision of infinite blood splattering out of the elevators at a place that sure seems like a hotel. Wendy calls a doctor who tells her Danny will be fine. Then Wendy tells the doctor about a time Jack got drunk and separated Danny's collarbone. It's fine now though, Jack doesn't drink anymore. It's fine, why are you questioning it? It's fine. (laughs) Jack, Wendy, and Danny drive up to the Overlook. There, Danny meets Dick Halloran, and they realize they both have a similar gift, a way of communicating silently, and seeing hints of the past and the future that Dick's grandmother called The Shining. So that's another weird thing that's going on in this movie. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, Jack is trying to get some writing done while he stays at the Overlook. But it's a slog. He gets mad at Wendy when she interrupts his quote-unquote work. Then Jack wanders into the gold room and heads for the bar, where he meets bartender Lloyd. Lloyd offers Jack a drink, even though the Overlook doesn't stock liquor during the off-season. Lloyd is probably a ghost, but Jack doesn't mind. He's just glad to have someone whose ear he can bend. About how much he hates his wife. She won't let him forget about the time he abused his son, the bitch. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> Unbelievable. Also, do you think this is a ghost alcohol, just like the ghost eggs from earlier, Mikey? Ghost serving ghost <gasps> alcohol, maybe. <laughs> do you think that the ghost eggs would have made me feel ghostful? They might have, or maybe they would have driven you to uh, do some bad things. <laughs> like this movie did That's with Jack. <laughs> That is how I feel about, like, Chinese food. I feel like it makes me ghostful. Like, I'm hungry an hour later. <laughs> Truly. Uh, later, Jack goes to a full-on ghost party in the gold room, where Lloyd tells him his drinks are on the house. But when Jack asks who the house is, Lloyd is cagey about it. Then the server spills a drink on Jack. And when they go to the men's room together to clean themselves off, Jack learns that the server is Delbert Grady, the last caretaker of the Overlook. The fella doesn't remember killing his family, but reminds Jack that he must kill Wendy and Danny. Jack nods. He seems to be pretty into it. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> Wendy then wanders into Jack's writing room and finds that he hasn't written anything these past months besides all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. When he finds her, Jack asks Wendy if she's ever considered his needs, considered his commitments. And Wendy swings on him with a baseball bat. She knocks Jack out and locks him in the freezer. While he's inside, Jack has a conversation through the door with the ghost of Delbert Grady. And it's here that Jack is told the higher-ups are not satisfied with his job performance. You know, the job being killing his family? He's pretty bad at it so far. <laughs> Jack begs for another chance, and Grady lets him out of the freezer. Now, Danny is taken over by some kind of ghost and can't stop saying red rum. He writes it on the wall, and when Wendy sees it in the mirror, she realizes it spells backwards murder. Just then, Jack rips through the door with an axe. Wendy runs off into the bathroom, sends Danny out the window to safety, but finds she herself can't get through. There's not enough space. She screams as Jack chops a hole in the door, sticks his face in, and yells, Here's Johnny! <laughs> then, Jack is distracted by a returning Dick Halloran, who's come back from Florida and is driving a snowcat up to the Overlook to check on the Torrances. He gets inside and immediately takes an axe to the gut. Like, immediately. No Great work, bud. Really, really uh, good job coming to save the day, he, asshole. He came from Florida just to get murdered, like, for, in two minutes. It's it's very funny. He's, he's also like, yeah, oh, sorry, I'll get into it more. What am I doing? It's about Satan. Go off on a <laughs> tangent here. Uh, but yeah, nice work. He's dead. Great. <laughs> Wendy runs through the hotel, finding countless ghosts and gradies and elevators filled with blood. Danny heads into the outside hedge maze with a still axe-wielding Jack in pursuit. Danny tricks Jack by retracing his footsteps in the snow and wiping some of his other escaping footprints out of the snow. And escapes while Jack spends the night running around, screaming incoherently, before eventually freezing to death with a uh, very distinct expression on his face, I gotta say. <laughs> uh, Wendy and Danny are then able to escape the mountain in Dick's snowcat that he drove up there. Then, back in the hotel, we push in on a framed photo of a July 4th ball held at the Overlook in 1921. And it's Jack in the picture. Whoa! Jack's there at night. What's Jack doing in the Overlook? 
1921. Roxy, let's talk about Can it. Can we please talk about it? Because I was really confused. I was like, is it yeah. reincarnation? Is it like the curse of the hotel that everybody the hotel kills or something is like put into that painting or something? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like a dude who looks like him? Is it some sort of purgatory where he's just replaying the I don't know. What what do you think, Mikey? Do you have an actual answer to this? I, I do have an answer that Stanley Kubrick gave on like a a textual level, and then I have a theory about the like meta textual level and kind of what it's about. Okay, rad. which which one do you want first? Uh let's have the Stanley Kubrick just what he says it literally is. So he was talking about and this was like described in a phone call he had with Stephen King while he was making the movie. Oh. He was talking about how ghost stories are inherently hopeful. And how the idea that there is a ghost implies the existence of an afterlife. Yeah. And so it is kind of him saying that, like, this, our Jack is a reincarnation of this Jack who has been at the Overlook before. Because it's saying that, like, we don't ever truly go. Like, it's kind of a lovely little sentiment that we're always there and we will keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the, and that's what's kind of interesting to me about this movie is the interplay. Like, I remember watching this movie and thinking there were no ghosts at all. Mm, Yeah. And there, there clearly are, but like the way that that intersects is very interesting to me. So like the idea that a human Jack is functionally a ghost throughout the entire movie is kind of interesting. And again, again, that same sort of like, where does the line between the movie saying these are ghosts and where is the line between Jack going mad? There's somewhere in the middle. And that's very like fascinating. to me. Yeah, because when I was watching through this, I was wondering, okay, could you say that this was all in his head? But no, you have his son who has the shining with the finger who knows mm-hmm. things and talks to the other guy who also knows things. So that's a supernatural element. Then you have the wife running through the hotel and seeing all of the ghosts as well. Or, like, different ghosts, Mm -hmm. too, so, like, she's witnessing it. So it's more of kind of like this Silent Hill-esque haunted place, I suppose, that, like, you can see things on the premises. Like, maybe if you wouldn't be able to see a ghost anywhere else, possibly in this universe, but you can see them here. So having the other characters validate it, that's where I was like, okay, yeah, we can't just say it was, like, all in his head. But that doesn't mean that the hotel isn't only showing him specific things that other people might not see. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of like that idea that everybody's getting their own individual tasting of the ghosts yeah, to a and degree. the horror. And the... Or there might just be things that are so powerful where, like, yeah, Wendy's just seeing a ghost that has no relation or, like, comment towards her. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so powerful and things are popping off with Jack going insane and giving the hotel <laughs> power or something or giving into it. So maybe it feels like it can come out to play more. Do not know. And then there's, so my theory, and I, I mean, this isn't like a super unique theory on The Shining. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of kind of what I, the vibe I was getting and was taking notes about. And there have been a bunch of articles about it since. There's a lot of discussion in this movie about America writ large. There's like mm. the very blatant, like America, uh, the, the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> Another just, trope we've seen they, a couple of times. He mentions it so offhandedly just as they're walking through, like looking at the snow cat. He's like, yeah, this was, bar- this was on American burial ground. And, you know, they fought kind of hard to exactly. try and take it back, but they didn't win. It was like, what the fuck? Yep. Okay. No, gotcha. I, I think, I think that, I think that was intentional. As we keep going in this, there's the, um, that when uh, Grady and Jack are in the bathroom mm. talking about O'Halloran oh- coming, they just use the N word very casually. Yeah, just drop it like three times. Mm-hmm. I I was I think I had to pause it and was like, what? And like, <laughs> kind of like yeah. ex- expl- ex- explained it. But no. 
like out loud, I was like, I, okay, I didn't remember them doing that. I didn't expect them to do this. <laughs> and and you'll notice, I mean, you notice it too. They do it with the same casualness that the dude talks about the Indian burial go yeah. around. Yeah. There's even a couple of little subtleties, like very early in the movie, Wendy says to Danny when they're like first going to explore the hedge main, they like have a little race and mm-hmm. she's like, loser has to clean up all of America. <laughs> I didn't even remember that. That's funny. It's like a little aphorism like that. I was like, what? The first time watching it, I was like, that's probably just like a weird thing they probably said in the 70s. But like that feels key. And then the biggest thing for me is the July 4th party. The the final picture Mm. in the Mm -hmm. ballroom at the end is a July 4th party. It is the birth of America. And so for me, it is this cyclical nature of (laughs) uh, specifically white men causing violence white men have been causing violence since the birth of america and they just keep doing it and it's this cycle they've harmed the native americans they've harmed black people they've harmed uh their families and the one that like maybe me pushing my theory too hard Mm -hmm. but that i really liked is to me the second scariest scene the first scariest scene is the old woman who uh (laughs) is a sexy woman and then turns into a scary ghost. Uh-huh. The second scariest scene is when Wendy is running through the hotel at the end and getting her ghost tour. And she finds like a man in a bear costume giving a blowjob to like an old white dude. Uh-huh. And it's striking and it's so unusual. And I feel like I've seen that clip outside the context of The Shining and been it's afraid of so it. It's just so because it's like, it's kind of disturbing, but at the same time, it's just sort of blase. Like they're just doing their thing and they're like, hey, you're not supposed to be seeing this. And so they look at her like, you're the weird yeah. one here. You get out. Right. We're doing our thing. <laughs> it's our kink, whatever. You can't kink shame us. Yeah. Get out of here, lady. <laughs> but so that was me thinking like, oh, is even nature, as epitomized by a bear, is even nature sucking white dudes' dicks? <laughs> like, <laughs> these white men get it all. <laughs> like, they are infinitely powerful and they are curbing everything to their will. That, to me, felt like Jack is murdering his family, but people like Jack have done plenty of murdering in the past, and it's always happened, and damn, sure seems like it's going to keep happening. Yeah, I think especially just every interaction he has with Wendy, like, you never really see them necessarily as a loving couple. Like, she brings in... Oh, absolutely But, like, she's trying so hard. Like, on her end, she's she brings him, like, breakfast in bed and is like... Oh, do you think you're going to get some writing done or are you going to do this? Like (laughs) helping him have every single advantage for him to do the thing he wants to do, which is write a book, apparently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like in the evening when she comes down is like, I think she asked him something about dinner. And like, that's when you first have him go. It, It was like 30 minutes in. Like I was expecting him to change and go like angry mode more like towards the halfway point of the movie. But no, it's like the first 30 minutes is when she goes to be like, do you want dinner or something? Or how's your writing going? She just asks something like very supportive uh-huh. and innocuous. And then he takes that and twists it and being like, you're distracting me from my work. You're awful. How could you think you could do this to me? Like, get out of mm-hmm. here. It's just like absolutely atrocious to her. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this happens a lot earlier than uh, I was expecting it uh-huh. to happen. <laughs> okay. Well, I- I would argue even further, like, the way Jack Nicholson is performing Uh in that very first scene with Mr. Ullman, Mm. like, taking the job, I was like, this guy's out of his fucking mind. And Jack Nicholson can be, like, normal and charming. I am a big fan of the movie About Schmidt. I've never seen that. Where he's just kind of this innocuous old man, and 
Like, he can be just a charming, normal dude. He is playing that scene out of control. Like, he is already a maniac. Well, it's <laughs> very... frame one of this movie. It's also just very selfishly, like, about him. He's like, I don't care about my family. Like, I heard about this family being murdered mm-hmm. here, and, like, there might be a threat to my family, or, like, mm-hmm. you know, I know I've been drinking and maybe can't trust myself if that ever happened. Uh, but he doesn't even consider it for a minute and, like, makes up some lie about, like, his wife liking true crime stuff or ghost stories or something. Yeah. Just to, like, appease these people so he can get his job. Whereas, like, the guy who's giving him the job is, like, being very careful and being like, man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, like, you know, I know you have a family, mm-hmm. too, and, like, we wouldn't blame you if you didn't want to do it. Like, he's giving him every opportunity to have an out. He's not, like, being, mm-hmm. like, we really need you to do this. Uh, here's a lot of money on the table, like, you don't want to give that... Like, he's not being strong-armed into it. He's very much making his choice to do it. Which is very interesting, like, and I remember watching that scene and being like, this guy's got the job, it's a layup. Mm -hmm. And then later, when he's stuck in the fridge, they make it seem like that's the job interview, or that's the, like, the job performance review, where it was so easy at the beginning for Jack to just waltz in and say, I'm going to do this. All of a sudden, the rubber's meeting the road. Can this dude get it done? Can he actually earn his place in the great hall of violent men? And he's, like, struggling. Like, that's where it becomes, like, he's on the defensive. He is not... Most job interviews, you're like, oh, yeah, what can I do? And they're like, oh, tell me about your weaknesses. You're like, I would be happy. I'm a shit person. <laughs> My weakness He's is that I work totally too hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People say I'm too smart and well hung. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not... It's not hard for him. And all of a sudden, when he's facing these challenges, that's when he starts to get afraid that he's going to lose his place amongst this group because he can't... Like, his true work throughout this entire movie was insane. It was his work. His job was to kill his family. Yeah. <laughs> and he's bad at it, which is very funny to me. <laughs> and also, you were talking about Jack Nicholson, just like his performance. There's something about his face also, that just like the mm. structure of his face. Like so- some people, for one reason or another, like maybe their face looks very kind as like resting face, you know, without like pulling an expression. He yes. just has kind of a resting like creepy face something about like Cruel. the arch of his eyebrows in particular and stuff like kind of yeah. just lends it to that where he could just be like at neutral and it would look like that he's creepy <laughs> yeah no so then he him has a he doing something he has with race, it. resting yeah. cruel face yes yeah yeah, yeah. which <laughs> sorry jack nicholson because i'm sure you're listening to this i'm sure you were a lovely person in <laughs> in real life i don't i suspect that's not true yeah either. Mate, who knows <laughs> But yeah, I think also because of the notorious stories behind the directing of this film as well, the actors Mm -hmm. were basically kind of forced into these deranged expressions and desperate kind of performances Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is pretty disgusting of Kubrick to have done this, like bringing actors to tears, literally, and basically Mm -hmm. borderline abusive behavior, not borderline, it is outright abusive behavior, doing hundreds of takes of just, like, simple mm-hmm. things, simple line reads. The cook guy, who also has The Shining... Halloran? Ha- Halloran? Dick Halloran. Halloran, okay. Where he is, like, sleeping on... Or not even sleeping. He's, like, on the bed at his vacation home, just, mm-hmm. like, looking at a screen. <laughs> doing that zoom-in of him, like, having a slight change in his expression, doing that mm. hundreds of times for no reason. When it's, like... 
mm. probably the fifth or 30th take would have been fine. You don't need to do 100 <laughs> takes, you megalomaniac. Shelley Duvall had a mental break as a result of this. It's part of what like ended her career in acting and made her go down a very unfortunate rabbit hole for her mental health and everything. This movie was not worth that woman's mental health. Like, I don't care how good a movie it is. It's not worth destroying the people who made it. Uh, and this has been a thing that has happened throughout Stanley Kubrick's career. I feel okay. like it was a Harvey Keitel talking about, like, quitting Eyes Wide Shut because he, they it made him do God damn. thousands of takes. I mean, it's extreme perfectionism, for sure. Like, it's... Uh, I can... As we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I get how you could be like, oh, that isn't quite right. That's not quite how I envision it. And Stanley Kubrick, I'm not a huge fan. This is by far my favorite movie of his. But like, I can see like, yeah, he gets exactly what he wants because he like won't settle for anything less. And whether that's worth it or not, I I, I see that argument. But also like made a really good horror movie. <laughs> I'd say also like this movie is about people becoming deranged and unhinged and he basically mm. did that to his actors in real life. Like that's what happened yep. to them. They're so tired and exhausted and just like done with it by the time that yeah. happens. It's just like <laughs> apparently Shelley Duvall got a Razzie for her performance which I think is insane oh, really? because her 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 performance yeah, I she was pretty good. it's very real and like raw and that yeah. scene where Jack is advancing on her and she's got the baseball bat yeah. and she's like swinging it so like pathetically and desperately to just like keep uh -huh. him away. I'm like, yeah, you've probably done this like 300 times or something. And like, that's <laughs> why you were so tired and exhausted with this. And it reads <laughs> very yeah. effectively, especially when she like finally gets the hit when he comes too close and she like whacks him. <laughs> goes Ugh. down the stairs i love that uh, that scene is so frightening that's probably the scary scene also, in the movie for me with him advancing on her very menacingly like this and she's like she doesn't want to hurt him but is also like you've hurt our child you've committed violence and now you're saying these things to me and then the final thing he says is that he is gonna like kill her for real because he's using like a lot mm -hmm. of threatening language and blaming her for everything because of course it's her fault that his life isn't going where mm -hmm. he wants it to be i i actually really like what you just said about how uh this is a movie about people going to deranged places mm -hmm. like I, kind of thinking about it in the context of stanley kubrick as the next jack torrance uh -huh. in this cycle uh -huh. like he he kind of is like this scene i think is what's so effective and so interesting to me is when jack nicholson is going off about like this is you are interrupting my grand work don't you understand do you ever think about my work about my yeah, commitments yeah. about what i'm doing and that, you have to imagine, is Stanley Kubrick's point of view. Like, don't you ever think about what I'm going through? I'm trying to make the perfect movie. <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to do Yeah, you guys this. are just my little puppets. Do what I want you to do. Like, stop. It's your fault. It's not a perfect And case. honestly, that's why I kind of like this super, I mean, don't like it, but like, I, I think it's an effective choice. This super casual way that they talk about the Indian burial ground and use the N-word. It's because like, to these men, it's just like, yeah, that's just my work. Like, what's important is my work. And finishing it, even when your work, like, half a step back, Wendy can look at Jack and say, you're writing all work and no play it makes Jack a dull boy. We can look at Stanley Kubrick, like, you're making a horror movie based on Stephen King book. Your work is abhorrent. <laughs> your work is not worth harming people. And yet you think of it as this hyper important little bit. It's very interesting that he is, I, I can't imagine that's intentional, but maybe it is. Maybe he's just like caught in a cycle and realizes like, I can't let it go. I can't finish this take until I get exactly the little 
twinkle in the eye that I need from Dick Halloran. I could see that too. I have no idea what his like mental state is, but like he's very clearly the monster in his own movie. Uh-huh. It's very scary. On a very meta level, yeah. That's an interesting like I didn't connect the dots in that way until you mentioned it. It's like, yeah, 110%. That's a even more yeah. fascinating layer to add to this. I'm just realizing it now. Yeah, I had Yeah, the it. funny thing is too is that this is a Stephen King adaptation, but it is very different from the original work and like Stephen King notoriously mm. hates this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a character assassination of both of the main characters. Um, and then there was like a 90s miniseries that he was like, yeah, that's the more accurate one. That's the one I like. Mm-hmm. I I actually read a bunch about this, oh, okay. about the Kubrick King dispute. Mm-hmm. And I would be very interested to hear which you think is more interesting. Ooh, okay. Obviously, I, I have my take. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but you can guess. Stephen King's whole thing is that he believes like if you set Jack Torrance up as a good man and then he goes to this place and its forces corrupt him, that's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he's like, there's nothing you're fighting for if he goes in and he's a maniac. But Stanley Kubrick is almost taking this like realistic lens. Like he's more interested in the, like the questions of if there are ghosts at all, he's like, what is deep within the heart of man? And that's not something that comes from this external source of a hotel. That's something that's lurking within him from the beginning. Yeah, I think- So which one do you think is more interesting? Cause I kind of see both points, but- I think it's much more interesting for it to be like, this is a potentiality he had the entire time. So you hear how Jack was drinking, uh, yanked too hard on his boy's arm. So he wasn't like trying to like punch his child or something. He just got frustrated and kind of mm-hmm. yanked him a little too hard, which doesn't excuse it and make it okay. But there's like an intentionality there that you can delineate from like someone who is actively like, you know, abusing their child and someone who has just kind of like, at the end of his rope and did something stupid because he wasn't being careful. Mm -hmm. So he, like, had the potential to go worse like that. He had the potential to keep drinking and become a worse person. Um, But he saw he did that bad thing, decided to stop drinking and try and change his life. But, like, I don't know how much him and his wife talked about it because when she's talking to, like, a doctor about it later, like, she still seems very worried and she just says, yeah, he stopped drinking, so it should be fine. Should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and well, like, and the other maybe thing is, I'm not sure. Maybe it would have been if they never went to the hotel and the hotel is like what pushed him over the edge or saw this potential, saw this thing that he could become and use it to its advantage because it's a weakness in him that like mm-hmm. he was capable of doing this thing. Um, and all that was keeping him from doing it was the society that left him behind maybe before he came here. Um, or his wife, mm-hmm. or maybe it was common sense, or just like, you know, not having someone in your ear talking about how, no, reinforcing how self-important you feel and being like, you are more important mm. than your family. <laughs> right. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I'm not certain. Hmm. I feel like there is a subtle little distinction that the movie makes that if it's intentional, I fucking love okay. it. Where uh, Wendy says... He hasn't had a drink since uh, uh, he did this thing. He had a little too much to drink and he yanked Danny up and br- separated his collarbone. And that was three years in the past. Oh, okay. I forgot and then how she long says, ago that was. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. I, I feel like I might be misremembering the three years part, but she says it was three years in the past and now he hasn't had a drink in five months. Oh. So he kind of didn't stop. Like, oh if that's God. what they're communicating, that he kind of didn't. Like, yeah. I love that so much. Because I, I think this that's movie better. is... I like that better. Wendy's story. Like, she goes from 
she's the character who changed. That's Stephen King's argument is like, Jack Torrance doesn't go through an arc. He has no arc. And I was like, yeah, because Wendy does. Yeah. She's, she goes from apologizing for Jack to fleeing from Jack. Yeah, and taking responsibility, or not that, responsibility, that but a, yeah, prioritizing herself and her kid above his needs. To a woman who is like making excuses mm-hmm. For her husband who kept drinking after separating his baby son's arm, like, that's, you're in pretty deep. And those are usually the type of women who get murdered. Like, when the mur- when the murdering begins. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's actually a weirdly hopeful ending that Wendy and Danny both escape, that they do have this extra snow cat to get away yeah, from. Yeah, so it's kind of like, like the help of... The, the kindness of others, too, in a way, in that sense, with, mm-hmm. God, I can't, keep forgetting his name. What is his name? Halloran? <laughs> Halloran. Halloran. So, like, he, first of all, he's, like, the only person of color in the movie. And then, of course, he's the first person mm-hmm. who dies, which, great. Okay, that trope exists in this movie, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, like, he is off at his vacation home. He doesn't have any reason to come back here. But, like, he's so worried about this child and this family and, like, this child who is... You know, in a similar position, he probably sees part of himself as a kid and Danny to mm-hmm. an extent, uh, having this gift that he can't talk to anyone about. So he makes the choice to, like, go and save them. And even though he gets killed immediately, the snowcat he brought there is what ends up saving them in the end and allowing them to right. escape. So it's kind of like it just shows a dichotomy there, I guess, in that way, where you can have the kindness of someone that you don't even know that well could help propel you forward, even when, like, this mm-hmm. person who is being who you know very well is being terrible to you. So it's kind of like, <laughs> don't give up, even if people you know suck, not everyone does, in a way. Which mm-hmm. maybe that's reaching a little bit, but, I mean, it allows them to get away, and it is hopeful in that sense. So, yeah, it's something you can hang your hat on. Uh, and, and also, like, thinking about Wendy telling Danny, like, last one there has to clean up America. Like, (laughs) they survive, and then they get to go, like, hopefully they'll go clean up America. Hopefully they'll be different and better now that they have escaped. I mean, they escaped a cycle. They Mm -hmm. always talk about Mm -hmm. how abuse is a cycle, um, how however your parents treated you is how you'll treat your children. Like, Wendy got out of that, and it's like a pretty cool and powerful little story, and an arc to see her go through that she gets to survive. It feels like... (laughs) weirdly Pollyanna to hmm. me. Like, it almost feels like the the movie is so cynical about... I mean, I, I guess you could then say the movie is specifically cynical about colonial violence. You know, a certain group of men's destruction of, of a place. And then to say that, like, some people get out is... I I feel like it kind of just happens as opposed to having been earned, but I do like it. I can see that to an extent. It kind of makes me think of, like, this movie was 70s, right? When when did this movie come out? Uh, Great question. Sorry, I should know this. I know (laughs) we've talked about this. Unfortunately, nobody knows. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, it was lost to time, and no one knows when it came out. Uh, 1980, May 23rd, 1980. So it makes me think also about how, like, Black Christmas, which was a 70s movie, is kind of taking these progressive stances and how, like, a lot of Mm. more feminist movements and stuff like that were kind of coming to the surface maybe a little bit more. You know, like, women being maybe sole earners and not being dependent on their family or their their Mm. husband, like, just to survive. Because that can be one of the reasons why so many people stay in these horrible relationships is, like, they literally don't have the tools to escape because they... You mm-hmm. need money to survive. You need a job. All these sorts of things. So I don't... Boy, don't you. I don't know if I can credit the movie with trying to kind of show that to be like, 
yeah, now we have more options as, you know, further generations go where people can be more independent and not as dependent on that where she, you know, like maybe if her, what if her mom was in a terrible situation like this, where we're talking about like generational, like, you know, learning how to treat your family kind of deal from mm-hmm. your own parents. Um, someone in her mother's generation probably wouldn't have, you would have had to struggle way more. There'd be way more against you if you ever wanted to get a divorce or get out of an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, in any era, it's going to be hard to do that regardless but like societal wise like the pressures on you and like the tools that Mm. you could have available to you i feel like it probably gets easier you know as each decade goes on like i'm sure it was easier in the 90s than it was in the 80s easier in the 2000s than it was in the 90s kind of deal slightly harder in the 2010s than it was in the 2000s but then it took a big leap back in the 2020s uh-huh yeah not (laughs) now it's especially (laughs) easy not great (laughs) <laughs> Roxy, anything else uh, big picture on The Shining you wanted to touch on? God, I feel like there's so many things we could talk about. How about um, maybe some other sort of like funny things? Like you were terrified by the woman in the bathroom. I thought it was really yeah. funny. <laughs> Something about it. I mean, it is funny, but it's it, it is very much like the perfect. I guess scare that's pr- part of why it's terrifying. Yeah, it's it's terrifying because of the way that it is sort of funny too. Yeah, especially because like Jack being like, "Hey, here's this sexy naked lady who's walking towards me." Then he starts making out with her, and then she's like, "Ha ha, yeah. fuck you! I'm a decaying, rotting old woman instead. Take that, you fucker!" And it's like slowly <laughs> advancing towards him as he's trying to leave. I thought that was very funny. That that to me felt like a pretty potent metaphor for like having an affair and then like being in the refractory period where like you're so turned on by a sexy woman and then you have sex with her and then you're like oh god what did i do oh no she's a monster now (laughs) yeah (laughs) actually that's a really good way to approach i didn't even think of it that way but that's it perfectly encapsulates that i i do think that like my first watch of this movie was like right as i was beginning to be literate in media Mm -hmm. and was like oh this movie is saying there are no ghosts it's all in jack's head and i remember trying to talk myself into different ways that he could have escaped from the fridge without ghosts okay yeah because like that's a very (laughs) obvious proof of like somebody else opened that it had to be ghosts that opened it that's the moment where they're like all right there are ghosts dude (laughs) and i was like no 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 here's why I don't know that I had. I was like, there must have been an air conditioner vent that he could sneak through or something. Uh, very stupid. Very stupid. Event. I think also the uh, the final image of Jack dead in the maze. It's so abrupt. I had to rewind it. I thought yeah. I missed something. I was like, wait a second. Because he's like stumbling around with his injured foot, like wailing, has the axe. He's in the corn maze. It's nighttime. And then maybe, I don't even know if he completes slumping to sit on the ground. But then it's just like hard cuts to daylight with his very goofy-looking f- frozen face, like, dead in the morning yeah. light. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I miss something? Hang on, what? <laughs> it's an awesome cut. It's, like, one of my favorite cuts in movies, where he's just, like, doing his thing, and then it just smashes to him, like, cartoon-level frozen. Yes, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, he, I don't think that's how people freeze to death. <laughs> his eyes are, like, kind of rolled back, his mouth is sort of open, and then he's just got, like, icicles kind of on him. <laughs> And, like, the way his shoulders are, like, situated, they're kind of, like, up around his neck a little bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, it's a top moment. And um, I, I did, I guess this is a good time to talk about mm. it. I did go back and watch The Simpsons did a Treehouse of Horror Oh, shoot. I wanted to that watch was... that. I forgot to rewatch it. Okay. So you rewatch it? 
It's just the shining. <laughs> they just do the shining. Um, to the point where, like, there are a couple moments where they sort of don't heighten it. Okay. Homer becoming Jack Torrance and going, uh, the, the give me the bat moment. Oh my god, okay, yeah. He kind of just does it. He's like, give me that, Marge. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. And then she hits him, and it's like, that's sort of just what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not really a joke. They Every once in a while, they'll do, um, like, a very funny, they just do the blood thing coming out of the elevator, uh. and Mr. Burns is like, that's odd. Usually the blood gets off on the second floor. <laughs> so that they have, like, a punchline to accentuate how silly it is. And then, but, like, the bat scene specifically, I was just like, damn, dude, they are, they are just doing the scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> they are just doing the moment from The Shining, and it's very funny. Yeah, I think I can hear that in my head of Homer saying, like, all work and no play makes Homer something something, because he can't even remember yep. what the line is. <laughs> yep. Uh, go crazy? Don't mind if I do. Yeah, then, yep. That's, like, something that's burned in my brain since childhood that, like, you bringing that up, I'm like, yep. yeah, I remember that part entirely, but I don't even remember the bat part. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I want to rewatch it now. Yeah, it rules. Roxy, we gotta rate this movie on a scale of one to five thumbs. Remember, we can go over two thumbs because we have this big box of hands here. How many thumbs would you give The Shining? Uh, so I gave it three out of five. Mm-hmm. I think like the end result of what we get is a very well made movie. I think all of the acting in it is extremely well done. We didn't even talk about like the kid actor. I think he's pretty mm. pretty, good pretty good at what he does. Pretty good. So, like, everyone all around, they feel very, like, real and grounded in a way, which, of course, because they were completely, like, mistreated on the set (laughs) to get these kinds of performances. So, it's kind of like, I I appreciate what we have on screen, but then at the same time, knowing what I know about how it was made, I'm like, man, I'd like to give you a four, but, like, I don't think I can with that. Mm. But I think the metaphors it's dealing with are very interesting. We also didn't talk about how... Some people are so obsessed with this movie, there's, like, a fan-made theory movie where people Mm. just go ham about all the different things they think this movie represents and what is in there, Mm -hmm. like, with coded numbers and all that stuff. So, like, it's a very... There's something about this movie that triggers people's imaginations and, like, thought process. And, like, Mm. with all of us just talking, you know, between the two of us talking about the different things we were thinking it could be saying or that it is saying, you know... I think it is still a very good movie. So I, I'm giving it a three out of five. What about you? That that makes sense. Um, I am giving it four. Okay. I can uh-huh. <laughs> ignore the, the horrors <laughs> placed upon the actors. It sucks. But, you know, dude's a perfectionist. That's what you're signing up for. Don't work with him again. Yes, truly. <laughs> the answer. Truly. Um, I gave it four thumbs up. Here's the thing. It's a little tough for me. The reason I'm not giving it a five mm-hmm. is because I... It, it, the movie almost feels like I can't decide if it's a supernatural horror movie or not. And you really think God so? God help me, Roxy. I feel like at the end. I feel like at the end they're like. I mean, the kid you already by, get by the end for sure. And then when the yeah. wife but also like, validates it and the other guy. So I, I guess I would have liked the reveal a little earlier. Yeah. Uh, if we're if we're gonna say this is a supernatural movie, and I would almost like some more discussion amongst you know. If Danny were just a character instead of a weird little kid doing his weird little thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if Danny were a character and him and Wendy could have conversations like, is this dad or is this the hotel? Then it's like, okay, that would maybe clarify it mm. a little bit more. Maybe that's not this kind of movie. Maybe that's just a preference. Well, I think thing. if Halloran was there to bounce things off of more, he's just there for, like, yeah. two scenes, I think, literally, where, like, they're showing the family around, then he's talking to Danny. And, like, that's mm-hmm. when you could have done more, I guess. 
or kept in there, but the whole deal is that they're isolated. So yeah, I don't I don't know how you would would do that a different way. Roxy, God help me. Mikey? I I kind of just a little bit agree with Stephen King. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. This this movie is weirdly kind of cold and distant from its characters. I, I think There's a quote he has, right? That it's like a it's a movie that hurts people. I think is the quote yeah. that he has about this movie. That sounds right. Yeah. There is like an arc to Wendy, but it's it, it's all kept at arm's mm-hmm. length. It's a little cold. Because like she's not it's the main character little... even with that. Exactly. You know? There, There's no tragedy, which Stephen King did say. Um, God bless it. But listen, as a piece of filmmaking, like this movie is out of control. Great. Like the images it puts on screen are so scary. There's so much of just like the hedge mage at the end where Jack is like pursuing Dane. There's a shot. That, like, I feel like I've dreamt about before Mm. numerous times. It's, like, over the shoulder of Jack, and from afar, you see the vent open and Danny crawls out, and then he begins chasing him. And it's so viscerally terrifying. Just feeling like Danny and feeling like you're coming, you think you're, like, coming out of stealth, Mm -hmm. thinking you're safe. And there he is right there, and he gives chase. Yeah. It's upsetting. We didn't actually talk, like, the shot choices and stuff in this movie, we didn't go super deep into it, but, like... It utilizes a lot of really interesting things like that. There are no jump scares, but it will keep the camera from showing you some things that, like, the characters will see. And then the way it pans around or cuts Mm -hmm. to show you it uh, is very creative and, like, jarring in much more inventive ways that I wish uh, modern horror directors would try and do things like that instead of just a jump scare. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's something you can very much appreciate. Uh, sorry to go a little off tangent for what you were saying, but yeah. No, 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 you're exactly right. <laughs> it, it's great. It's just like this this movie in terms of like truly making me upset. And Stanley Kubrick talked about this. Mm. He was like, my job with this movie is to make you feel scared, to give you the spine tingles. Okay. It's like, fuck, there are images in this movie that are like, like that bear giving the man a blowjob is a nightmare. That's a nightmare. Like if you were walking through your life and you saw that, you'd be like, I can't continue living. I have to die now. What? Like, what am I supposed to do with this image that I have just seen in the world? What happens I next? I mean, that's just like somebody's kink you walked into and be like, yep, I'm in the wrong place. I need to go in the opposite direction. You guys have fun over there. <laughs> Sorry Roxy, for interrupting you, sir. Two people, two people blow at each other in bear costumes. I am turned on. <laughs> two, a, a man in a bear costume and a Banker is the craziest shit I ever saw. <laughs> hey, they just booked a room at the hotel as well. Uh, they they got to they, they got to go somewhere. They they can't. This dude can't tell his wife what he's into. So <sighs> it's so good. Get a hotel. Yeah. As as we talk about it, I'm like, I think this movie holds together as like a real frightening, dreamlike bit of horror that doesn't tell a great story but is so good at what it is trying. Like, it's, it's almost more of a preference thing. It's like, mm. if I were making this movie, I'd have a little more heart. I'd have a little more story. Obviously, Stephen King would have a little more heart, have a little more story. I would want to beat him up because my story would be different and better than his. <laughs> but it would be like, like if I was making that movie, it would be this. What they set out to make, they fucking did. <laughs> like, it's really upsetting to me, a lot of these images and a lot of these moments. Yeah, so, and they're extremely four stars iconic. That are thumbs. Yep, for. Four, st- four, star, four, four stars that are thumb. Four thumb stars. <laughs> Roxy, do you have a question for me? I sure do. So the impetus for this story even being written in the first place was Stephen King having a scary dream while he was at a hotel, which uh, uh-huh. that scary dream was 
you might think like, oh man, it inspired The Shining. What could it be? What kind of horrors did Stephen King of all people dream (laughs) up that would cause him to want to write this movie? The dream was about a like hose chasing his son to try and get his son. Okay. All right. (laughs) But that was so disturbing to him that he was like, hey, I got an idea for a book now. Mm-hmm. Which I will say, it's one of the funny things because, like, the the outside artifice, I think, for this movie, right? Or, like, the place where Stephen King stayed to have that nightmare to inspire him. They make it, like, a haunted attraction as if the hotel is evil or, like, he saw a ghost or something. And it's like, no, he just had, like, a weird dream that just yeah, hit him right where it spooked him. Uh, the hotel is not haunted, but okay, keep having your ghost tours, guys. But so, have you ever had a dream that scary, Mikey, that it has stuck with you or haunted you or maybe the first scary dream you can remember having? Boy, do I. I had a dream during the peak of Lost being on television. You remember the the show Lost, Roxy? I sure do. Uh, It's my favorite show of all time. But while it was airing, um, early in the first couple seasons, there was this concept of the others, right? These people Mm, crashed on the mm -hmm. plane. And there were these mysterious others. There were people who were already on the island. And we didn't know who these people were. And at this point in the show, we hadn't seen them yet. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a dream where our main characters, like, I can't remember if I was one of the characters or if I was watching this on TV. But one of the characters, like, we'd seen a couple people that had been revealed to be the others, but we hadn't, like, seen their community or whatever. So it was, like, Jack and Kate and Hurley, these lost mainstays are interacting and they finally go into the world of the others. They go into the part of the island where the others live. And we see these characters that we've met before and they're like, so you're the others, huh? And he goes, we're not the others. They're the others. And he points behind them and they turn around and in like, it's like you're at the top of a gorge. So there's like a a cliff going down Mm -hmm. and standing within that cliff is a giant, like, 40-foot-tall man. Oh, my God. But because he's in the cliff, he's, like, at their eye level. So it's just, like, the cliff is going down. No, he's standing full up. Oh, okay, okay. But the chasm is so deep that just his nose is peeking (laughs) up over the cliffside. Oh, my God. And he's kind of swaying. And it is absolutely the moment that cemented my fear of giant people. I was going to say, you have fear of giants, Mikey. So yeah, this feels very on brand for your nightmares. But later on, I played, uh, I replayed the arcade game, Ninja Turtles video game, and Krang, the giant robot, appears up over a bridge at exactly that and sways and shoots eye lasers at you. So that image was so embedded in my brain that it got into this lost dream that scared me so much. And still to this day, the idea of giant people is very chilling to me. (laughs) What was the scariest dream you ever had? Uh, So the scariest dream I had actually is, mysteriously enough, Batman related. Oh. So I remember my parents rented this house when we were growing up. It was like on this hillside. It was relatively kind of deserted. And it had a scary basement, actually. Not this scary basement that we're inhabiting now. But like something that is kind of spooky to a child. Roxy, you're telling me Uh that you've been in another scary basement and didn't tell me? I mean, I was waiting till now to surprise you. This was on (laughs) purpose. It was a uh, dramatic reveal, Mikey. I'm going to be honest with you, I feel hurt and betrayed. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I really need to update you on every scary basement I've been in because there's probably more than just this one that I'm just spacing. What? what? That I've been cheating on you. How many? With. How many has it been? 
<laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but this house that they had didn't have like enough bedrooms up on the top floors and stuff. And like, I have a younger brother. So mm-hmm. they were like, he'll be much more scared in the scary basement room because that's the only other bedroom we have. So he'll get to sleep upstairs. You get the scary basement room, oldest child. Here you go. Right. So it was like very cold and it like opened up into this basement room that had a giant like window that opened up into like the wilderness of Alaska. So it's kind of like just a door and a pane of glass in between me and like the darkness, spookiness of the woods, which when you're a little kid, it's like, yeah, I could walk outside here and get lost and no one would ever find me. <laughs> so I was already like spooked being in this basement by myself. I felt so isolated. Like my parents had the top room. My brother had a room like on the first like ground floor. And then I'm down in the basement in the spooky room, which didn't even have like carpet on the floor. I remember they had like cut pieces of carpet or something to put in because they were going <laughs> to renovate it. Yeah. So I had seen like this episode of Batman the Animated Series that had Clayface in it. Sorry, this oh. is finally getting to Batman. Sorry, this is huge having to describe that house bit. The Clayface episode has also stuck with me. Yeah, it's so very that, scary. That Clayface episode was terrifying because for those of you who don't know, you can probably guess he's made out of clay slash mud. <laughs> and he's a giant sentient, like, actually, I don't know, like, the backstory behind him. Was he a person? He was an actor. And then he had a car accident and his face got disfigured. And then they made this chemical that he could rub on and it like reconfigured the molecules of his face so he could like make his face attractive again. Mm -hmm. But he got addicted to it. And then when the mob that was like giving him money enough to buy this experimental chemical wanted to kill him, they just covered him in this chemical. So it just like his his molecules all became rearrangeable. Yeah. So there was a point where he like kills a character or maybe he's fighting batman and trying to kill batman in this way Mm -hmm. i mean batman obviously doesn't die in this but so he like absorbs batman or this other character into himself and like you they can't move and they're just being suffocated okay it was batman and just like it traumatized me so much because like you can't move and it's also like batman who shouldn't be susceptible to this seeing that happen to him i'm like if it could happen to him it could happen to me oh my god uh so i remember being like very spooked by that and then the same night i had to go down and then sleep in that scary basement room by myself and i had just like a nightmare of clayface killing me the same way but like i didn't escape the way batman did and then that brief frame of time when you're waking up, like, I still felt like I was gasping for breath when I woke yeah. up. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. And, like, nobody was there to, like, you know, if you're a little kid, you run up to maybe your parents' room or something. I was like, I can't go. Do- they're, they're so far away and the basement's scary. What if the face gets me? So just <laughs> woke up feeling like I was, like, being suffocated and then just stuck awake in this dark, scary, cold <laughs> basement room. Truly upsetting. Roxy, I will never forget that scene from Batman the Animated Series. Right? Like, it's impossible to forget. (laughs) He he says, he like sucks Batman into his chest, and then he goes, I can feel his heartbeat slowing. (laughs) Slowing. (laughs) And he laughs. Oh my god. And it's like way too long, and then finally the grapple hook shoots out of Clayface and Batman. See, I didn't even remember. Uh, with uh, with the R1 button. I think my, my brain up. is just like, he, I don't even know how he got out of there. In my child brain, he always, he stayed there and he died. Yeah, <laughs> your mind. brain just shut out the bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> like when he was in there, he's like, I can't take in any more of these memories. Yeah. 
So now, thank you, yeah. Mikey. You give me some resolution where I know Batman yeah. escapes because I couldn't remember if it was like a side character that would just be killed or if it was Batman uh-huh. who does make it out. So <laughs> I also remember you see like Batman's face pushing out from the clay. Oh man, <laughs> that shit's scary. That's Terrifying. a scary game. Scary game. It's a show. Uh, Roxy, last week we made a bet. Mm-hmm. We wanted to know what the timestamp would be when Jack Nicholson delivers his famous "Here's Johnny." I said it would happen 48 minutes in. What did you say? I said 55 minutes in. We were both very wrong. Okay. <laughs> but you yeah, it was like towards were the end, slightly, right? It was very much at the end. Why did I remember this happening early? Like, I felt like the, the slaughtering happened earlier. Yeah, well, uh, it also it's like, what, a two? Two hours and four minutes in. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I didn't remember how long this movie was in general either. So I was like, that's, if it's an hour and a half, then it's closer to the end, right? So... Okay. Yeah. Two hours, four minutes, you said? Yeah, if it was an Holy hour and a half shit. movie, then your guess of 55 minutes would have been about right. Like, yeah. he says it, and then there's a half hour left. <sighs> Not a lot happens in this movie. Like, looking back on it... There's a lot it, of uh, vibe, kind of, a lot setting, of set dressing, kind of, like, making you feel complacent about a scene and then unnerving you. Yeah. Yeah. I, c- I could have hacked a half hour of this out of this movie easily. The point is, Roxy, you win the bet. Just by default, man. An hour off. More than an hour off. <laughs> More than an hour off. I'll take That's it. That's going to take our total <laughs> scores to Roxy with 36 points, Mikey with 27 points, Ty with four points. Ooh. And now that we have cleared the shining from our deck, the work never ends. Demon have you ever given a thought to my needs, to my commitments? Maybe I've got something to do. Let's not watch a movie. Mikey and Roxy speaking of adaptations of famous novels. For next week, you must watch the adaptation of Dracula. So assured of its book accuracy, the director put the author's name in the title. The 1992 film Bram Stoker's Dracula. All right, Roxy, we got Bram Stoker's Dracula on the docket. I have never seen this, and the fact that it's from 1992, it's a 90s horror movie I haven't seen. I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, it's you gonna and me be both. Maybe oh, boy. Go- goofy? Action-y? I don't know. Unclear. Okay, yeah, I've, I've not out. seen it either. We're going to well, find out. Next week. We get to talk about it. Uh, we got to make a bet for it, obviously. Mm-hmm. This is a vampire movie. Spoiler. I, I sure hope so, given that title. Otherwise, man, that's the first <laughs> twist of the movie. <laughs> It's actually about werewolves, Mikey. <laughs> yeah, this is like an art house drama about uh, a little girl in a beauty pageant. <laughs> Roxy, how many times do you think the word blood is going to be said in Bram Stoker's Dracula? Ooh, okay. Uh, God, I feel like they could say this a lot or a little. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say 12. Sure, 12. why not? Okay. I, I'm going to say 15 Okay, bloods. so you're still thinking it'll probably be quite a few. Yeah, it just feels like, I mean, that does still feel like a lot. How many lines does the average actor have who's not? Yeah, you're going to be like, whose blood is Dracula. this? Where is this blood? Oh, I need to drink some blood. Do you right. like drinking blood, Dracula? It's still a lot of bloods. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, we've talked about a lot of horrifying things this episode. Bad working conditions. Uh, nude women mazes what is something that's making you happy let's go out on a high note tell me something that's making you happy this week uh mikey how do you feel about cupcakes do you like them Uh, positive yes okay good so when i was visiting my family we 
well, not we, I should say, I was the one who was like, we're going to do this because it's going to be fun. <laughs> there was a cupcake shop that I had never been to before, never tried out, it looked really cute. We went in there, I picked like a bunch of different flavors, and then we cut up the cupcakes so we could each try these different flavors. So we got oh, to have like smart. a cupcake sampling kind mm -hmm. of really really tasty cupcakes and we got to try all the different flavors without feeling like too guilty about like if i just ate five different flavors in their sure. totality i'd feel like a fat piece of shit and uh it would not be good for my <laughs> blood sugar <laughs> or my waistline um uh -huh. but this way i get to try that many and not feel too guilty about it and then you just get to be like yeah, so the flavors were like Dulce de Leche. There was one that was a lemon blueberry one. Mm. There's a gingerbread one. There was a key lime pie one. Mm. Good old cookies are, and cream as well. Like These are what you'd call high leverage cupcakes. Like mm. I, I feel like a key lime pie is either the best cupcake of all time or it's sour and disgusting. Yeah, this one was really good, so I got I got lucky. Okay. Good. <laughs> but yeah, Thank it could it could have gone back. So it was a place I'd never been to before. Mm. Uh, so I, I like doing that a lot, like going to little like bakeries or pastry shops and like trying a bunch of them mm -hmm. just because I've never tried them before. And it was really fun to be able to try one here in this area that I've never been to before uh, and get to share that with my family at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's lovely. What was your favorite cupcake? What was the top cupcake? My favorite? Um, it was the Dulce de Leche one, but I have like kind Dulce of a Leche. weakness for like caramel flavors. Sure. Uh, but the the key lime pie one was like a really close second because it was it was really good. And like like wow. you said, it's hard to pull that off, but I think they they pulled it off pretty well. Incredible. I'll tell you what's making me happy. Yay! What is it, Roxy? How do you feel about Irish friendships? Uh, sounds. I love friendship. Irish <laughs> friendship sounds very specific. Kind of fun. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> I just watched one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh? It's brand new. It's on HBO Max. It's called The Banshees of Inna Sharon. <laughs> Banshees? Okay, is it spooky? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> no. It is, <laughs> it is perhaps the least spooky movie I've ever seen. Really? Uh, but okay. It, but in a way, the most existentially horrifying. Um, it stars Colin Farrell and Brandon Gleeson as two, like, Irish I should have guessed that Colin Farrell was going to be in it if it's like an Irish movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, is that's it a good, set that's in a Ireland? Because I know they get like yeah. tax breaks for that. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's set in Ireland during uh, the 1920s, during the Irish Civil War. Oh. And it's about two Irish buddies who live in this tiny little village of Inishirin. Okay. And they go to the pub every day at two o'clock and they go to the pub and they that's drink. pretty early. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And then one day, Brendan Gleeson decides, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. What? Just decides Just it? Very suddenly, kind of out of nowhere. And the way Colin Farrell reacts to it is funny. And the things that happen, like, and it happens like right away at the beginning of the movie. It's so funny. And it goes into some wild directions that I could not believe. It's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. It's so much fun. It's on HBO Max. The Banshees of Inna Sharon. You just gotta watch it. You just I, gotta yeah. watch it. I can't even imagine that being like the premise for an entire movie. So that makes I me know. very intrigued. I to know. Be like, what the I fuck know. could that possibly be? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. It's like, great characters. Uh, they're all, there's like this little supporting cast. Barry, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Barry Keegan, I believe it is, is in it as just like the town fuck up. <laughs> 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 everyone just like openly hates him and it's very funny 
but even he gets like a solid little story. It's really good. It's oh, it's my favorite. It's my favorite movie. It's okay, favorite well, movie. I'm I'm gonna have to put it on my list. I'm gonna have to watch and see just what the hell is going on <laughs> in Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like people set up like there are things that people say that you're like, what the fuck? No way is that gonna happen. And then it happens, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> No movie has ever kept me guessing more. Okay. Wonderful. Roxy, it's time now for Haunted Plugs. First all of right. all, make sure to follow Scary Basement on Twitter at Scary underscore Basement and on Instagram at Scary Basement Pod. And Roxy, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy. And I am on Twitch also as Red Mage Roxy. I stream three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. And you can find me on Twitter at Secret Blimp. And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. Also, make sure to give us five scary stars on iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Also, leave a review that really, really helps us out. and We would appreciate it. And finally, don't forget to share (laughs) and scare this podcast with all your friends. And as always, do not sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. See you next week.